Hi, everybody, and welcome to Sell, Scale and Thrive, the B2B SaaS podcast for founders. This is all about sales, about building your sales capabilities in your organization, because a startup that sells is a startup that scales. Want to create positive impact by getting your SaaS product out to more customers? Then start here. Ian, thanks so much for taking the time to discussing how to design your pricing architecture for growth. Um, you're a true master of your craft. I, I had the pleasure to review your content before. And uh, pricing is such a delicate topic. It's probably the biggest driver for profitability, but very few people get it right. As it, It's not teached anywhere, right? And there's like so many ways to do it wrong. And there's also a bit more of an art than a science if you've never done it before. So with that, Ian, thanks so much uh, for having, for, for being on and uh, over to you. Thanks, Manuel. It's uh, great to be here. Um, I'm looking forward to an interesting session. Um, I'll spend the first uh, 25, 30 minutes giving you uh, some thoughts on uh, designing a price architecture for growth. Um, and then we'll, uh, we'll have plenty of time for questions, right? And, uh, and so we'll try and answer questions as we go as well, but uh, also you can hold them till the end if that, if that helps. Um, so let me get my... Slides going here, yeah. So just quick introduction of myself. So I'm Ian Tidswell, um, was a physicist originally by training. Um, and then I've been doing pricing for 20 or so years now. Um, I started working for a, a startup myself called Vendavo, that's now a pretty mainstream company, but also worked for some big companies, as you can see there. Um, I was in the US and now you worked in the UK and Switzerland as well. Um, I also worked, and then I've been an independent consultant for the last uh, six years or so, working with companies large and small. Um, and I think relevant here is I'd highlight working with InnoSwiss, which is the Swiss government's uh, innovation department. And I'm a special coaching, special price coach for a special coach for pricing. Get those in the right order. Um, so I've worked with about uh, more than 60 companies in that in that uh, capacity. Uh, always a whole lot of fun. Uh, and a whole lot of different types of uh, companies and different types of pricing. Um, and I'm also been a trainer for both the two uh, global pricing organizations. Uh, and I'm based here in Basel, uh, Switzerland. Um, and uh, I, st uh, I started along with Diana, who's on the call as well, Diana Coelho. I uh, started Ideal Price to help startups and scale-ups uh, figure out how they could do their pricing. Because as uh, Manuel said, there's not a lot of uh, pithy, useful information, not very much practical how-to stuff around pricing for startups. So I uh, felt like a, a white space in the market and something that we could help fill um, and try to do it with, a, with an approach that is uh, efficient um, and, uh, and practical um, because otherwise it's, uh, there's, you can read a lot of books and still not, not quite know how to price your, price your uh, solution. Um, so getting pricing right, uh, as Manuel said, super important, right? And if you get it right, then there's a really nice flywheel. If you're familiar with the uh, Amazon flywheel, this is sort of derived from that. So um, if, you can, uh, if you can come up with attractive offers that uh, uh, meet unmet met needs in the market, uh, and if you price them right, then that drives revenue, which drives growth, which is market share. It gives you some margins, which increases your ability to uh, attract investment, which means you can start to do more to solve more uh, un unmet needs. And so um, 
getting getting an offer that creates value is the first piece, but uh, pricing it in the right way so you get the balance right, uh, super important. Um, and if you get the and pricing is uh, is uh, the strongest lever of higher valuations at the end of the day, right? Because pricing has such an impact on your revenue growth uh, or lack thereof. Um, <coughs> and don't just take my word for it. This uh, guy you may have heard of, Warren Buffett, uh, has said that the single most important decision in evaluating a business is pricing power. Um, if you don't have pricing power, it's going to be very hard to uh, get people to pay attention. So pricing is important. Let's start with the some of the foundational elements I think you need to uh, get in place. Um, so the first one is, and I sort of touched on this already in a second, you need to be solving a customer's important need. It needs to be urgent and important, actually, right? Urgent but not important doesn't work and important but not urgent doesn't work. You really need to, it needs to be something where you can convince the customer you're solving an urgent and important need. Pricing won't fix it if you don't do that. Um, secondly, it needs to be differentiated in a positive way from their next best alternative. And we'll come back to this next best alternative terminology uh, in a little bit. Um, the third one, um, especially if you're a new company or young company, then generally there's quite a lot of perceived risk around your company, right? Will, will the solution work? Is it proven? Uh, will the company stick around? So you need, it needs to be low enough risk. Um, and it's always uh, useful to think about uh, how much risk there is and what can you do to reduce or minimize that risk. Um, the fourth one is uh, not only are you solving that important and urgent need, but the value from solving it is, is clear to the customer. Um, quite, uh, quite a number of uh, startups I work with uh, struggle with clear value communication, right? And, 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 and so that's, that needs to be worked on. Um, fifth one, being targeted. Um, it, there's a tendency here to confuse uh, what the pitch to investors that in five years shows that you're going to uh, be a, a billion dollar company with getting those early customer wins. So um, I don't think you can be too targeted at the beginning. And we'll certainly talk about that in terms of pricing is, is I, I recommend a uh, land and expand approach. So figure out the, the, an ideal cust what an ideal customer uh, for you would, would want and then expand from that as you go. Um, and the last one is sort of why we're here today is around pricing it all right, uh, getting getting the pricing architecture. And the pricing here is not just a price point, it's also the price design. And so we'll touch on that topic as well. So need to have these things in place. Um, hopefully you've almost all the way there. Maybe you're struggling with some of them, but but this is the foundational piece. Um, and then we I recommend working through um, four basic steps. So these are <coughs> Excuse me. A, B, C steps. So, A is ambition, and ambition is about your context and what you're trying to achieve. The second step is then designing a price blueprint. Um, lots of consultants might recommend lots of analysis here. Um, I, I, my, my preference is you already know a lot about your market and the customer, so. Um, write down, we, we use those hypotheses to figure out what a price blueprint would be. This is not necessarily what you're going to um, 
you know, launch right away. But this is your starting point. And then in the third step, the C, the C step, that's where we check the assumptions. So very much hypothesis and then check. Hypothesis doesn't work, of course, if you never check. Um, but if you just try to do it the other way around, then you find yourself doing lots of analysis that it turns out isn't that important. Um, and then the final step, we won't spend so long on this, we'll just touch on one aspect of this, is deployment, right? And this is deploying the pricing in the market. Once you've designed the blueprint, um, you may have lots of, um, um, there's lots of details to sort out in terms of getting the price out in the marketplace. So, uh, for example, how you're going to communicate things, um, who's going to make pricing decisions. And uh, one whole topic that could be another, its own blog would be around uh, channel pricing, figuring out how pricing works in different channel steps. So let's walk through each of these and I'll highlight particularly, uh, I'll highlight a few things on, in different steps along the way. Um, so the first one is the ambition step. This is really about having a sense of where you are and where you're going, right? So pricing should be driven by your strategy, your goals, your resources, and your constraints. Um, it's easy to say that, but but oftentimes I, I find write these, writing this stuff down and being super clear about it and aligned in your team helps make sure that you're all pointing in the, 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 the initial, pointing initially in the right direction. Um, there's generally a decision to be made about, are you designing pricing for today or six months in the future or a year in the future? That depends a lot on what your roadmap is and where you are. Um, generally, uh, companies need, um, early on, they need some pilot pricing. So they need to, to know uh, how to design their initial offers that they will pilot with the very early customers. Um, we can talk about that in the Q&A if that's a, a, a question for you because pilot pricing is a little bit different than longer term pricing. Um, and, then, and then it's pricing for um, a solution when you're sort of ready to go, I guess you're sort of uh, ready to scale type pricing. Um, and then a third, a third piece here is around knowing your trade-offs. So this is, what is it, um, uh, how risk averse are you? Is it, how much profit do you need to make now versus uh, just driving market share and revenue growth? Um, how are you are you selling a solution that will be um, one size fits all or will you adapt it for different customers? Um, there's a there's a host of these or a host. There's maybe a dozen of these different um, uh, trade offs that you need to make because at the end of the day, you can't have everything right. It's not possible to um, not possible to maximize revenue and profit at the same time. It doesn't work. Um, so making sure you get your your price ambition uh and foundation right is is the first thing the second one the second piece and this is where i will spend most of the time uh, this afternoon uh is around designing a price architecture aligned to value um we'll go through these steps here but basically i i highly recommend you start with an ideal customer start do, do take a land and expand strategy here start with an ideal customer and a and one solution you're going to sell them um think about the value drivers they get compared to the, the next best alternative, but also think about the barriers. What are the things where the next best alternative is easier, cheaper, better, or might be for them? Um, then we design, and, and then, so once you understand the value landscape, um, then we're gonna think about the price carriers. So what are the um, things we're gonna price on top of? And then with those, with those price carriers uh, identified, then we can go design out the, the, the portfolio of pricing offers 
um, and try and uh, maximize the amount of uh, the appropriate level of value that you want to capture given where you are. So one way to think about this is, is kind of a balancing act, right? So your offer, you have an offer uh, for customers. Uh, it's based on this uh, foundation of something that's innovative and interesting and different in the market. Um, and customers are going to think about the value that your offer delivers. They're going to think about three aspects um, uh, when it's innovative. They're going to think about what's the value they what's the value received. So how much value are they going to get? Um, they're going to think about what risk are they exposed to. Um, anytime you're working with a young company or an innovative solution, uh, there's risk rears its head and it needs should be explicitly considered. Um, and then the third one is the time to value. Uh, how long will it take them uh, to capture value from the solution? Because in almost all cases, uh, customers have to uh, invest in order to get something out of it. So those are the three factors which we'll, we'll come back to. Price is how you capture a fair share of the value you create. And so you as a company, a young company, also have considerations as you're thinking about price, right? Turns out they're, I think, very similar to the customer's perspective. So you're thinking about the value you receive. So this is how high a price can we charge and how much of the value we create can we capture. Um, you'll be thinking about how much risk can you be exposed to. Um, it may be great if you work in the pharma industry to say, oh, we'll just take a share of the drug profits when the blockbuster gets released. Um, but the reality is you can't wait 10 years to get paid. So that doesn't work, right? So, so, but the longer you can wait, the more risk you can take, the more potentially return you can increase over, over time. But, but it's a balancing act. Um, and then this, the, that's the, the risk of whether the blockbuster works, but then a, in a similar way, there's also the, the time to value, right? It just takes too long sometimes to wait. So you need to get paid now because you're investors and you're, you've got to watch your cash flow and your investors are uh, expecting to see a steady uh, uptick in revenue as you go. So there's a balancing act here between customer value um, and um, how, you, how you design your pricing. Um, so value, so let's, let's focus, let's start off with the value piece, right? So value compared to what? Well, <coughs> it's value compared to the customer's next best alternative. Um, no one is making purchase decisions in a vacuum um, now, the next best alternative could be do nothing, um, but it could be a competing solution. It could be something uh, that's tangentially related. Um, but generally, you're going to think about your solution should be will be different than the next best alternative in one of in, in, in on two dimensions. So it could be better or worse, uh, and it could be more expensive or cheaper. Um, so typically, people think of more expensive and better, right? And this is, I think, of Apple phones and Apple watches in this department. Um, it's generally you're trying to sell an upgrade. So ultimately, you want to increase the amount of uh, the, that they spend, but uh, for very good reasons. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but you can. I mean, there's a perfectly valid strategy to also go with cheaper but not as good. Um, Ryanair may not be a whole lot of fun to fly, uh, but they are one of the most profitable airlines in the world. Um, and they do that by uh, focusing on the key value for the customer getting from point A to point B and taking away 
the elements that customers say they value but aren't willing to pay that much for, like seats that recline or legroom or meals that they get included or even the baggage that, that um, the baggage that goes in the hold. So um, definitely a, a, a place to think about is, is, you know, are you trying to be better or worse? Are you trying to, be, uh, are you, are you, you can try to, you can be better and cheaper. So this is what Amazon did and this really drives fast adoption. Um, this makes sense if you've got uh, deep pockets or if you, and you've got a solution that's relatively low cost. Sorry for my uh, throat. I uh, managed to have COVID last week, so I'm still in a little bit in recovery mode. Um, and then finally, uh, you could try to be more expensive and worse. Um, not recommended. Um, but super important to start, figure out an ideal customer. Um, think about the core offer and then decide how you're positioning versus that next best alternative. So I'd encourage you to think long and hard within the context of ideal customers and offers. Who are the who are your who are your next best who are your customers' next best alternatives? Uh, and of course, then validate that uh, as necessary. <coughs> so ne next, we get into um, what is value. Right. And so value and customer value is what we care about. And th this should be a super foundational uh, to the problem. And I think value comes in five different buckets. Um, and so let's introduce those in this uh, sort of value hive. So the first one is, is short term costs. So you basically save the customer money uh, in the short term. <coughs> so that could be it's just cheaper or it could be requires less configuration or it could be that it's uh, they don't need as, the deployment is is cheaper right the the training and people change costs is cheaper so that's the the first set or um, and and you could be cheaper in the long run right so this could be cheaper um, uh, less expensive uh, inputs. Um, if you think about a hybrid car, right, that might be more expensive to buy up front, but it requires less uh, petrol down the road. Um, you could be uh, have a lower capital and maintenance, so um, this is something that just it just lasts longer, uh, or maybe it saves labor and therefore you can save people costs. So <coughs> long-term costs is the second category. The third one. And, and in a B, it's super important in B2B is you help your customers make more revenue and profit. And you could do that by helping them sell more, sell at a higher price, sell a richer mix of products. So they sell more premium products um, or you help them uh, have customers that, that have a longer lifetime value. Um, the, fourth, the fourth category, now we're getting a bit more fuzzy, but indirect value. Um, this can be things like an option value. So this is is something that when you buy a pilot, when you're selling a pilot, for example, they're not really interested in the value that comes out of the pilot per se. The value comes in the option it gives them going forward um, to uh, adopt the solution, right? So, <coughs> or somebody who implements SAP, oftentimes the value of SAP is the, the software you can stick on top of it in addition to its inherent value. Uh, lowering risk um, or social and environmental uh, factors can also be uh, I, I put into this indirect value, right? It's, it's hard to put a number on them. Uh, people claim they're important, uh, 
but will they really pay for them? And it's certainly hard to do a PL against them. Um, and then finally, there's intangible value. Um, this is uh, like reputational stuff, or it's simpler, or just straightforward emotional value. People just like to know where they are, even if it's hard to put a finger on the money, on the on the on the actual value. Um, I focus primarily on B2B. Uh, if you're in the B2C space, then part of the challenge with B2C is that intangible value um, uh, is 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 how a lot of uh, uh, consumer decisions are driven, right? Coke versus Pepsi doesn't matter. Uh, there's no inherent difference in the value there, but still people will pay a lot more than they will for the uh, store brand cola. Um, so this this set of, of value hive, this, this captures, I think, all the value elements that um, uh, you could offer. Um, as you move to the right, around, around in an in a anti-clockwise way, uh, um, what if there's more soft value? Um, if your value is on the left and at the bottom, if it's about costs and, and revenue and profit, then generally some kind of uh, price calculator makes sense to explain what's going on. Um, if you're in the right, then that won't get you so far. And then it's more about understanding willingness to pay price acceptance and, and different types of price research are needed. Um, so what I do in my startups and would recommend you do as well is just to you know, get the team together and identify which are the top value adds, which are important value adds, uh, and also where are the barriers, where are the things that are a challenge. Um, once you understand this, you start to get a sense of what's going to be important uh, in terms of communicating, designing the pricing and communicating the value. Um, and where are the areas with the barriers? Where are the things that we can do perhaps with pricing like guarantees or the way we design the pricing to minimize some of the barriers? Um, for example, <coughs> with SaaS solutions, there's often a um, upfront deployment cost. And so um, uh, you may, if, if that's not too big, you may have the option uh, to minimize that, try and reduce that for customers so they're more likely to adopt. So once we understand the value, uh, the sort of the value overall, now we let's think about the value capture over time, right? So if you think about how value is created by something that's innovative to the customer, um, generally there's some kind of time to value, right? Sometime implementation required. Uh, you can think of some kind of peak value and then the value will um, maybe grow over time. It may be fade over time, um, but there's some kind of shape to this profile. Similarly, there's some kind of cost structure for the, that's associated with this, right? So there's generally more costs up front as people make transitions. There's maybe deployment or configuration to be done. Uh, and then the cost may, again, maybe if it's a hardware solution, maybe things wear out and you, over time you need to, um, they'll increase or they may be decline, you know, whatever, whatever it is. And this gives us a, and this gives us a, uh, uh, a sort of value prof, profile over time, generally with uh, investment up front required. Who makes that investment? We'll talk about in a second. Um, and then some value creation <coughs> where is where it gets interesting. Um, so I, I highly recommend you uh, understand how your value creation happens over time uh, and how can you create value faster and minimize the investment up front. Um, now, how we're going to do this, this, this sort of capture value over time, well, this is where price carriers come in. 
So price carriers are the building blocks. These are the things you're going to charge for. I'll give you an example in a second. And build, price carriers can do different things. So they can help you capture value. That's the one I think we're all uh, are used to thinking of, right? We, we, we price something so that we can uh, capture a share of the value that's created. Some price carriers may be, though, just there for cost recovery. So if you have a SaaS solution um, and there's some deployment, then, <coughs> excuse me, investors tend to value, investors value um, uh, services less than they value um, the, uh, the software, the uh, ARR. So, um, uh, in that case, oftentimes the, the real purpose of, of, of charging for the deployment or the configuration is really just cost recovery. Um, third one is risk sharing. So some, some price carriers can help you um, share, take a share of the risk or give the risk more onto the customer. Um, supply balance is not so important. And then qualifying customers, this is an interesting one when it comes to pilot pricing. Um, so if you if you're doing a pilot or a proof of concept uh, and you need to charge for it because of the upfront costs, um, then figuring out the right what's the right level. So the customers who take you up on this are the ones most likely to move forward. Um, and so there can be a, an element of, of uh, price carriers that helps you with uh, uh, qualifying customers. So what's recommended here is to uh, think about which of the price carriers make sense. Um, and then we'll design, use them to design pricing that works for different segments where there may be different needs, they have different willingness to pay, uh, we have different cost to serve, and so we need to do different pricing. Um, <coughs> sorry, I've not been coughing all day, and now I try to talk to people, of course I'm coughing. So, um, give you, give you, to give you an example of some price carriers, so, um, I find it helpful to think about this in, in uh, this sort of theory of change my approach where there's the inputs, um, that's the things you, you put in the beginning, there's the uh, ongoing activities that could be the thing that's created, and then there's the outcome and impact. And to just give you an example in medical diagnostics, I think of the inputs as being the, the equipment and maybe the setup and training. Um, the activities could be the test kits or could be the supported services, right? That's sort of the ongoing tests. It's obviously a hardware example, but it doesn't need to be. And um, the output could be positive tests. So it could be not that you pay for a test kit, you pay for a, a positive test or you test paid for a test performed. Uh, and then the output, output outcome or impact could be um, if you're able, for example, to minimize the spread of a disease or or catch people with the disease earlier, then maybe you can reduce hospital time or reduce the hospital readmit rate. Um, and these things would save money and maybe you can catch a bonus on the back end for a fraction of the value uh, saved. So there's, the more you can, so thinking about price carriers in the, of these different types, um, I think is super useful. Um, uh, it's helpful. It, it, if you can pick things that are more on the right, generally you have a higher value capture and lower barrier to purchase. So um, lots and lots of talk around value pricing and outcome pricing and how um, you know this is the secret of success. It, it's helpful, it should be considered, uh, it needs to be thought about, um, but you also need to rec recognize that you're taking in, generally are taking 
increased risk when you go to the right. Um, you lose some control. Things, other things, can mess it up. It may not work, not because of you, but because of the way that what the the customer does. Um, it takes you longer time to catch the value, and it's more complex, difficult, expensive to many, me measure and manage. So, <coughs> what makes sense in your case is will depend. Um, but these are the factors to think about as you're thinking about which price carriers make sense, and generally more than one price carrier makes sense, right? So. So pricing things in uh, pricing uh, diagnostic equipment may use two or three of these as they uh, as they uh, design their pricing. Yeah, uh, Luca, I see your question. We'll come back to that in a uh, in a few minutes. Um, so, uh, well, actually, you, Luca's asking uh, online, how do you communicate trust in a newly developed platform from a young startup to already established companies? How do we convince them to try an, an innovative software in innovative software yeah well they need they need to see the payback right i think they need to see the value potential at least um and then i and then if it makes sense then uh some kind of pilot can make sense or an easy on-ramp right what you want to do is um, minimize those uh, barriers to adoption uh and the investment that they need um so in fact Sort of tease up nicely this next uh, this next slide. Um, this was the, the the slide we had before, right? In terms of investment early on, um, and then value created. Um, and so the question is, how do we want to share this value and this risk over time? Um, so one way to do this would be to just sort of share it evenly, right? So and actually, you see a lot of companies do this, right? We try to make a margin on the deployment stuff, and we try to make a margin on the on the, uh, the, the, the subscription. Um, that can make sense. Uh, in other cases, I see companies where they basically transfer most of the upfront cost to the customer. Um, nice work if you can get it. Uh, it tends to lower your value capture in the longer term. Um, but if you have a very expensive solution, there's a lot of risk, you know, you maybe can't, don't have any other alternative. Um, or in other cases, I have customers that um, they basically pick up the deployment cost, um, and then they can generally capture a, a higher fraction of the value in the longer run. Um, uh, yeah, so 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 uh, there's different ways to uh, the, there's no one way to do this. Um, it, in many ways, it would be nice to do the third one of these more often. Um, but it requires deeper pockets and a uh, real understanding of what's going on. And, and uh, sometimes it's, it's, it's too much to expect that. And so you end up with doing some combination of one or two. <coughs> so my, Michael's asking, Manuel's asking, when should you enter a new market with a high price anch to anchor premium positioning versus a low price to win market share? Um, well, if, if, I, I general I would say generally for the very early on when you're you're just getting your first handful of customers um, don't be too afraid of a low price because you're going to learn so much um, it's more, more important for the first handful of customers that you have a bunch of hugely enthusiastic customers um, uh, that will uh, tout your success and and brag about the value and you'll learn so much from working with them um, that it's okay if they if the prices they get are lower. What I would do is though, 
you know, low price sometimes signals low value. We'll talk about that in one second, actually. Um, and so you want to always rationalize, and I know Manuel talks about this, but always rationalize um, why you're giving a discount, right? A quid quo, a, a tit for tat. So if you give a, if you're giving them a lower price, you tell them you're giving a lower price because because they're partnering and they're an early customer and this kind of stuff. Right? Don't just give them a low price without explaining it to them. Um, so moving on, uh, I want to get to uh, the sort of full Q and A section in a second, um, in, a, in a couple of minutes. Um, so the third step was checking. Um, Everything we've just gone through, a lot of it can be done uh, by the team because you're going to know the market well. Um, but you need to validate those key assumptions, right? Um, uh, and, and so I'm, I'm very much a hypothesis-driven approach, but super important to make sure you validate the things. <coughs> the second point I make here is design your pricing so you can capture price information as you go. Um, good, better, best pricing is a way to do that. Um, I won't talk about that today, but that's a very important topic. If, it, if it's not something you do, you should definitely um, look that up. Um, and if you can, bake in price experiments into your pricing design. Um, good, better, best is one way to do this because it gives people options. Um, if it's an online solution and, you, and it's a relatively low price, then A-B testing can work great. Um, a lot of Amazon's success is the fact that, you know, many, many sales are, or if not all of them are a, a little A-B experiment every time. Um, but, but figuring out how you can bake in price experiments so you're not just making one better and then having to ride it for many, many years is, is a good way to go. And then the final piece in the deployment, I'll just focus here on one aspect, right? There's, a, there's many aspects to this, but the one aspect is on behavioral pricing, uh, trying to influence uh, price acceptance. So when people buy, they they don't they act in predictably irrational ways. Um, so none of us is Homo economicus, and we all make decisions in ways uh, that are not fully uh, economically sensible. Um, here's a bunch of the steps, right? I, I I think the 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 key one couple of key points I highlight here is one is understanding how the customer decides is super important. Um, pilot programs are, are the classic example. When people are deciding if they're going to do a pilot um, or a proof of concept and they're deciding <coughs> if they have to if they have to invest in this, um, they're not really interested in the economic outcome of the pilot. It's all about what they learn. Uh, and generally, uh, depending on who you're selling to and how important the big question is at the end of the day, um, they will expect a budget of 5K, 15K, 25K, uh, and you want to match that budget to be just below their threshold. So um, oftentimes they will, you know, 25K for a pilot um, may feel like a lot for you, but in fact, for the for the company, for the companies, these big companies, some of the big companies, maybe that's just chicken feed and it's actually uh, not an issue at all. So. Uh, but but understanding how customers decide what a good price is um, is super important. And then you can influence the buying decision uh, on the end as well. And different different customers have different customers have different buying habits. So uh, again, too much for today. But you can basically look at different. Some people just want to bargain. Other people want value, and other people don't want to take risks. And they have very different things you can 
very different ways they evaluate things. But one area um, I think is is super useful to think about is price anchors. So price anchors are when they are thinking about the price of your solution, what will they compare it to? Um, now, if you've got direct competitors in the market, right, that's the obvious thing, right? If you're buying a um, if you're buying an iPhone, then you're going to compare it to the price of a Samsung, perhaps. Uh, super straightforward. Um, <coughs> but if you're doing something innovative, um, then what what it gets compared to may be indirect competition, right? So maybe it may be. Um, something that's not a direct uh, comparison with, with uh, your solution, but something that they could make do. Um, if, you, if, you can, uh, if you have a strong value proposition because you help them reduce costs or increase their revenue or margin, then value is, is a great um, uh, price anchor. Uh, if you can anchor them on the, an, an, in a believable way on if you use our solution, then we will help you save 10 million. Then all of a sudden, a 500,000 per year price tag doesn't seem like a like a challenge, right? This is why uh, value is super important to get right, uh, and value calculators make a whole lot of sense if you have a strong value message like that. That's not always the case, though. Um, the reason why uh, oftentimes you have a list price and a discount. I mean, this is a topic, a, a topic maybe we can talk about in a uh, at the end, but. Uh, uh, list price is a great anchor because it makes the the actual price look a little bit cheaper. Um, sometimes, though, when when they don't quite know how to buy it, um, a related purchase is the thing that is uh, uh, relevant. So uh, I used to uh, help sell uh, pricing software to large companies. Um, pricing software is worth a lot of money to these companies um, if it's used the right way, um, but they would reference it to the price of SAP, and you couldn't really get uh, you couldn't, uh, you know, that right or wrong, that was going to be the thing they compared you to. They're used to buying other software packages and they, they think about your price versus those. And then it can feel very expensive, even if the value is there. <coughs> so some price anchors are helpful. Someone's not so helpful. Um, think about the price anchors which your customer is going to think about uh, and then think about how you can influence which ones they think about. And compare you to. So that's a lot of the content. Um, obviously, there's a lot here. There's a lot more to it than that. Um, we, we offer price training and coaching, uh, walking through these different steps with different elements. There's an element which is around uh, finding the value. That's generally fairly quick and straightforward to do. Um, just can be done in a day or two. It's certainly give you point you in the right direction. Um, <clears throat> There's a we, we have a pricing foundation program which gets you which is for early stage companies that gets you the strategic direction, uh, maybe gets you your uh, roadmap uh, and then working through ready to launch. That's helping you coaching you through lots of the details to get to the point where you have pricing that you can actually uh, go live with. Um, we, we do this with a whole bunch of templates. You've seen some of the templates. This, this is the price hive one, but these are all built into Miro. Um, you get your own worksheet, you work through it and basically can uh, build up your own pricing from a solid foundation. Um, and we've used this with a whole bunch of different, uh, as I mentioned, 60 odd startups through Suisse and other places across a bunch of different industries. <coughs> Generally, when they're in pre-launch or launch mode, 
um, with the goal of uh, answering these questions and, and giving you very practical advice and answers and getting to the, the, the getting to the prices you need to go live uh, in a way that is uh, rational and well understood. Um, there's different ways to that you could do other things. We think we have a nice uh, approach here that's efficient. Um, uh, it, it's fast, it's efficient, it's it's price effective. Um, other approaches tend to be a bit more uh, art than science, as uh, Manuel was saying. Um, so we can, uh, uh, if you want to more information, you can visit the website, uh, follow us on LinkedIn uh, at Ideal Price. Uh, or give us a call. We're happy to talk about your pricing situation. Um, and what I say is let's uh, open it up for questions, if that makes sense. Yeah, thanks so much, Ian, for all this amazing input. And uh, it was tremendous. Like, I learned a ton on how to get a method to the madness on pricing, which is often is like dark art even more than sales. So. We have the first question from Luca Dozen. How do you communicate trust in a newly developed platform from a young startup to already established companies? And how do you convince them to try an innovative software? What's your take on that? Yeah, I mentioned this uh, uh, when I was talking earlier. But basically, yeah. um, I think, you know, if, if, you, if your solution has a relatively uh, low cost and investment and effort to deploy it for you and for the customer, then you can sort of take a product-led strategy, right? You can basically have people try it, um, do a pilot program, not pilot, but give them free access to it, free trials, uh, make a whole lot of sense in these cases. Um, uh, as long as you give them a long enough trial so that they will see the value and see the potential. Um, I see too many startups wanting to do a 14-day trial, and all the 14 days is really going to do is confuse the customer. It's not going to get the value. Right? right, because then like they tried it out, it didn't get the value, and then they think, like, oh, let's not invest because there was no value. Yeah. They and they will blame you, not their own lack of understanding or training and this kind of thing, right? So it's like like a founder that recently tr told me like, hey, after three months I fired the sales rep because he didn't close a new deal from scratch. And I asked, what's your sales cycle? Is at four months? And I was like, well, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that so that's that's one scenario, right? On the other extreme, and there's a big range here, but on the other extreme, um, <laughs> somebody agrees with me. On the other extreme, you've got um, uh, you've got uh, cases where they really need you, you need to do a pilot, right? And then and then the trick can be to um, uh, do it. a pilot again needs to be long enough and needs to be priced in a way, and they need to get the value. Um, uh, but but pilots can make sense, um, you know. Warranties and guarantees only get you so far, right? At the end of the day, people need to trust it. But the more you can minimize the barriers and make it an easy ramp so they see the potential, right? The trick is not that they have to get all the value, but they have to see the potential and they have to see how it's going to work. Um, and then, yeah, you mentioned, Manuel, the second question around um, high price positioning versus low price, right? Um, you want to position... Headline pricing should be high, but it's okay when you're doing your very, uh, your first handful of customers, I have no problem with relatively low price, right? Low, they're not how you're going to get rich. Um, even if you struggle to raise their prices later, it doesn't matter that much. 
Um, but one of the things to think about is with a software solution, um, the risk for the risk from the customer's perspective falls way down once they've used it, right? So their value, understanding of the value if you deliver what you say you're going to deliver goes way up after they, they've tried it. Um, so that's why start with something small, uh, relatively low price. Don't worry too much for the very early. The very early customers don't worry about it too much. But try and ease that on-ramp um, and then upsell them later, all right? Oh, yeah, and they make the raise prices, right? If you have a if you have a truly valuable sticky solution that people want, they will complain about you raising prices, but they won't go away. Yeah, it's like SAP Classic, for example. Like, uh, I'm not satisfied. It's expensive. I still need it, right? Um, exactly. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Yes, we will pay pay again. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And then one point, like me coming from from Salem, just off. A call with like a lot of founders like on, on an event on first and it's like hey how do i help my sales team not lower price and go in it's like i need hundred thousand bucks from you like the solution is worth it if procurement yeah. pushes back sales pushes back it's end of quarter how do you do that this is this is probably one of the biggest failures actually is that uh, uh the, when the sales team doesn't buy the value then they're not going to sell very well <coughs> there's a story I heard of from uh, one of my colleagues also does pricing and more in a consumer space um, and a bank, a retail bank had uh, two service offerings for customers and one of them cost 20 euros and one cost 100. Um, the, the 20 euro one sold like hot cakes and was great. The 100 euro one, which was actually worth a lot more value to um, uh, customers um wasn't selling at all and the reason we wasn't selling was because the sales guys didn't believe the value and basically just didn't push it um so um super important to have sales believe in the value um so what's the you know how to do that basically you have to have spend a lot of time talking about value with them reinforcing that value um uh because they will get worn down by customers saying it's too expensive and talking about the the high price right so you've got to really emphasize value when you talk to your sales team build up the proof points and get those proof points so they really have a sort of evangelical belief in it as well so they can sell it to the customer does that make sense yeah that made that makes a ton of sense and i think that's why it's um, so important that sales reps stand behind the product and know it well enough or at least they know it works right um follow-up question maybe on that what do you do if your startup solution is not fully delivering on a value, right? I mean, like any AI startup has that that joke. Yeah. And like, I mean, recently somebody told me like in the beginning, we called it like uh, basically like uh, Antonio's intelligence, Albanian intelligence, because the delivery center was in Albania. So no disrespect to the delivery team. Is like, And I had this building up sales for a machine learning startup. And then a customer was like, well, can you send me a screenshot? of the AI solution and then uh, the head of delivery is like, well, why don't you send them a selfie, which I didn't find very funny as a sales guy. <laughs> it's a little bit funny. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you, a little bit how, scary, do you right? <laughs> how do you communicate pricing like confidently when you're just starting out? I mean, that's, that's also, I guess, a bit on Lucas point. Well, there's, yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of fake it till you make it, right? There's definitely, you've got to believe and you won't get it right. Um, but you need to uh, be really listening to customer, early customers and understanding how they get the value and what and what's going on from them, right? So that value hive that I showed, right? I, I think there's a 
once you have this is where the checking kicks in you know having on having detailed discussions with your customers where you ask them where do you see the value coming from right right uh, I, a lot of a lot of software solutions so it's great when your solution um, lowers costs for the is cheap, lower cost for the customer and creates revenue and profit but those are really hard to sell because the messaging is more complicated um, so oftentimes then you'll want to end up having you know two uh, a message for the, cost for the people who put the cost as the primary benefit and another message for people who have the revenue as a primary benefit. Yeah, so you sell more use case based and like here's increased revenue, here's decreased costs, here's how to reduce risk, like uh, angles of that tipping. Use case, use case is super important. Use cases are super important. Um, I was uh, working with a, um, a scale-up company that like 50 million revenue in the US that does... Um, uh, like operating systems for um, venues and, and concert halls and this kind of thing and stadiums. Um, and they've created a bunch of useful stuff, um, but their product portfolio is not aligned on use case very well. Um, and so they have a terrible time. They have, they, they have huge functionality. They create a lot of value, but they really can't explain it. Um, and, you know, it's, it's unclear whether more of their value comes from uh, keeping the revenue, the venue more full or saving costs along the way. Right. And, and you just got to be really clear about where the value, where the value comes from and how you prioritize it. Yeah. I love that one. Um, also follow-up question maybe on that from, from Luca Dozen, like, what do you do if you have very limited human resource, if you have a very limited capacity and you don't have any testimonials, you don't have feedback on the pricing and you can measure if you achieve product market, which is anyway, a terribly hard thing to do. I mean, things get easy once you can say, like, well, a customer in your industry, in your role, at your stage, solving this problem, paid, did X, invest the X, Y, Z with us for this. <laughs> yeah. You cannot do that. Like, what do you well, do instead? I think, I think they go through your program, right, Manuel? <laughs> um, true, true that. You know, I appreciate the, the soft some of, some of this is uh, Some of this is, uh, is uh, selling, right? So. I mean, I mean, the go-to-market is almost always got to be direct and it's hand-holding. Um, actually, now I think about it, uh, people will buy if they trust that your team will help them solve their problem. And sometimes um, expertise, you know, they like you for your expertise and stay for the software. Let me say it that way, right? So, so I, I love that one. Uh, so everybody tuning in, I think we have like about 30 people live, uh, like people buy you for your expertise and stay for the software. I think that's not dropping a bomb you shouldn't say right now, but um, I think that's such a high, high value takeaway that when you think like it's all sauce, like people only buy product that growth, like they buy you as well because of you until you have a certain it, maturity. It's that, it's that credibility. And they will, if they believe that you understand their problems and can help them solve them, then they will give you, they will cut you some slack in the in the software uh, because they understand your vision and they believe in your vision, right? Now, that's not always, that's not always the way it works, but that's definitely a powerful place to start. <coughs> Are you still there, Manuel? Are you on mute? There you go. Yeah, 
any, uh, we seem to have, we've lost Manuel, or maybe, we, Manuel, I think you're on mute. Or maybe you're having a, maybe his baby's uh, drawing his attention. Um, yeah, Luca, does that, does that make, does that uh, make sense? Um, and, you know, it, the, I think it also, the, the, the feedback is also becomes important on a, <laughs> now I see why. Sorry. That's all right. <laughs> I should quite like it. Um, when, when you, uh, you know, when, when you're early in the journey and you're really uh, not sure, this is where super close contact with customers and continually asking them and getting that feed, not in an annoying way, but continually getting feedback, uh, super important, right? Because you have to be adaptive. Yeah, I love that one. So more questions from the, the audience as well. I mean, um, all the people live besides Luca, uh, Luca is going to get a ton of value here. What yeah. other questions there you have? Otherwise, I'll just ask the ones that I get most from customers are most interested in hearing an expert opinion from Ian. Why don't you do that? So okay. one, one we encounter very often, right? I mean, I, on Tuesday, I had a call uh, from a company doing uh, seven-figure annual recurring revenue. Um, and so far, because like we have like one of the big OEMs in automotive, one up to 15, and they pay about 150 euros a month. 100 and 150. And I was like, what's your biggest ACV, like annual contract revenue? Is it like 40K, 40,000 bucks? I was like, why the heck does Porsche pay you 150? And they're like, well, now it's tricky, right? Now they're used to getting tons of value from 150 bucks a month. How do I get them to pay 20X that? Like yeah. when you when you go in there and people get tons of value and you go there like well you could do the enterprise stuff it's like why should I do that I get eighty percent of the value I'd, I want already. Well, that yeah, that's maybe that's a good that's an interesting point, right? I mean, that's a very extreme version. Um, I hope. Um, uh, yeah, well, you could you, basically. I think you would. You, you're you're. I don't know what the agreement looks like with them, but you're not. It's not like the the contract contract can't evolve, right? So, the hardball way is is you know we can't we can't so this is damaging our company. We need to change this, right? I think the whole um, we can't afford to do this. This is we can't make you successful if we're not successful, and this is obviously not making us successful, right? That that's that's a pretty strong argument sometimes. Um, the other one is you obviously try to limit the scope of what you get for 150 bucks, right? 150 bucks should be high, should have been limited from the get go. <coughs> um, and then you need to give them an indication of how the value will increase as they expand the scope and as you expand the functionality. Um, but I see a lot of companies, you know, they start off with uh, one size fits all because that's all they can afford. And then they expand and expand and they expand. Uh, you need to be thinking about when do you limit, cut things off and make them pay more, right? And so thinking about how pricing will progress as you go into, you know, the next year or two makes a whole lot of sense. You can you can have that low pricing at the beginning, but make sure it's not going to bite you too much. You know, it's not going to completely bite you in the butt in two years. So, you know, lifetime guarantees on price are not a good idea, right? Never, never, never. Yeah, that's an that's a, an excellent one. I just continue the dialogue until somebody asks a question here. But, um, 
actually Luca Luca has one uh, like what about the offering and how many subscription models should be offered should a small startup focus on small business and enterprise model or just one in the beginning that's actually sweet questions but (laughs) (laughs) Um, well generally I mean the ideal scenario is that you want to get to the point where all customers have uh, choices, right? Some level of choice, like good, better, best. Now, that's ideal, and ideal is not always uh, something you can get to in, on day one. Um, I, you know, should a small startup focus on small business and enterprise models or just one in the beginning? Um, you generally, generally, you want to go where your value is highest and your path is easiest. Um, and then expand away from that, right? Um, there's a framework I really like called Where to Play, which helps. I don't know if you're familiar with that, uh, Manuel. Yes, that. amazing yeah. book. But it's um, it's a great workbook. It's like a business model canvas. Um, but basically, they 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 advocate for you have a primary focus market and then a, a, either a backup or an, a growth market um, that you focus maybe 20% of your effort on. Right. And obviously, the numbers vary depending on what makes sense for you. Uh, but I think this notion of of having a primary focus and then a secondary one that either you try to work, but with lower effort uh, or in parallel or it's ready when the brain one doesn't work. That makes a whole lot of sense. Um, but I think you want to be sort of building up to having more than one offer, even if you don't start there. Right, that makes sense. So I got two minutes left. Uh, one last question from the audience, and otherwise, Ian, um, closing words from your side as well. Um, I put the, uh, the link in the chat again of like how people can reach you, how they can book a call with you, which is an uh, amazing offer. I'm I'm tempted to take. Uh, so happy to. If I am a startup like Martin Giese, fast forward offer, it's just a, like general rule of advice, just increase your prices by 20%, see what happens. Typically not much, you just increase profitability by 20%. What would be your number one thing if I'm a startup founder in B2B sales right now that I can do right away? Understand your value and don't be, a, don't be afraid to sell that value, right? You, 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 if you really have the value, if you really have good value, um, then people will pay the price, right? They will, right. They, will, they will pay the price. That, that's the main thing. But I mean, you can't, but don't be arrogant about it either, right? The, 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 this whole, yeah, raise the price 20% see what happens is, is fine, but you can, depending on the situation, you can definitely get, uh, you can definitely have challenges with that too. Um, you know, you, you need to be in the, in the window and engage. And, and I guess the other thing I'd say is things change tremendously from customer number five to customer number 50. Right. So if you've gone from five to 50 and you haven't thought about your pricing enough, you prob- your pricing is probably not right. Almost certainly not right at that point. Very cool stuff. So thanks so much for sharing all these insights uh, to everybody um, listening, tuning in here. I put the link uh, on the chat. It's calendly.com ideal price. Um, so can only recommend that. Also, please connect with Ian on his LinkedIn profile. Yeah, exactly. Or go to idealprice.com. Thanks so much, Ian, uh, for joining, and we can stay on the streamer link uh, for a brief debriefing. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Happy to see you. Thanks here. so much. Have a good rest Happy of the day. Pricing.